All right, dude. So we're recording. So welcome on. So everybody, this is the first edition of the podcast. I've been wanting to do something like this for a while. Um, Chris here is actually my first introduction to the whole podcast world. I got to go on his the, the It's All Day podcast a couple of times, talk about my injury stories, getting into training, um, and chop up some kind of training principles and things like that. So me and Chris go back a little ways, um, played soccer at Florida Tech together, lived together. Um, now he's got a lot of stuff that he's got going on with his It's All Day brand. He's got a podcast. He used to coach CrossFit. Now he's into the nutrition space. Does a lot of really cool stuff just around lifestyle, journaling, meditation, breath work, um, along with all of the kind of coaching and nutrition stuff that he's got going on. So stoked to have him on, talk about some stuff today. So Chris, welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm very excited to uh, to be on the other side of the microphone. I don't get to do this side enough, but when I do, it's always really fun to be able to kind of share my story and my journey versus being the guy doing the interviewing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to flipping the script a little bit. Um, so maybe just right off the bat, if you want to just tell us a little bit about what you actually do. I know you've got a lot going on, so give us that little uh, kind of elevator pitch, if you will. Yeah, so... If you guys don't know, my name is Chris Page. I am an online nutrition coach. I have a company called uh, the It's All Day brand, so to speak. I have the It's All Day podcast. It's All Day online coaching. I do apparel. Um, I, like Zach used to say, when I was in college, I started as a CrossFit coach in person, did that for about five years, and then probably mid-2020, 2021 kind of right when COVID first started is when all the gyms closed down. I left my in-person gym and went online with my coaching. Uh, I focus primarily on the nutrition side of things, but I do also do training programs for certain clients if that's kind of what they need. Um, but like you said, my big things, nutrition is massive for me because it's my step. It's my way of getting my foot in the door in somebody's mind. Um, what I found through my own nutrition journey is that a lot of the nutrition struggles that most people have aren't necessarily a knowledge issue. It's some sort of psychological self-sabotage, past trauma, habit formation, something that is causing them to use food, alcohol, drugs as a way of avoiding the problems that they need to, that they need to confront and through my own journey of confronting a lot of those issues I had, I fell, I fell in love with nutrition because if you can use all the principles in order to, you know, get your nutrition in shape, whether it's finding the right habits, waking up and going to bed at the same time, all those principles and values used for nutrition, you can use them across, you know, changing your body physically, changing your mindset mentally, improving your relationships and improving your business. So once I found that out, I realized that nutrition can really unlock a lot of potential for people. And that's always excited me ever since I started. Yeah, that's really cool. I do like that discipline aspect of like when you're able to start doing this one thing really well, like for me, it tends to be more of like the gym stuff, but those disciplines and lifestyles and habits and stuff like that carry over into other things. Like I notice, my life just tends to go better. My business is better and things like that when my training is really good in the gym and vice versa. When that starts to slack off, all of a sudden other things in my life tend to like not be quite as good as I'd like them to be as well. So I think that's a, a very cool place to start as 
getting people even just to recognize that, like the connection between the two and like the gym is not the end all be all and not the only factor in your life, but it's such a really good place to have like be like that cornerstone. And when you start taking care of this, all of a sudden you start waking up earlier, you make your bed, like the, things like that. Um, that's cool. You're talking about the using that as an intro into kind of people's minds. And I was actually one of the first things I was interested about is what kind of motivated that shift from more of the physical training side of things, the CrossFit stuff to getting into more of the nutrition space. And I've heard you talk about using that before as like that vehicle to kind of just start getting into people's headspace, see where they're at. And so I'm kind of curious because it sounds like as much of what you do is about lifestyle habit change or even going really deeper and getting into just kind of personal issues like past relationships and different things like that. Um, so I'm just kind of curious, A, what got you started? Like what made that transition for you from more of the physical stuff to the nutrition stuff? And then what it's like kind of dealing with the habit lifestyle change or some of the background stuff as opposed to just straight up, here's what you need to eat every day. Yeah, um, for me, I've, I've always been an athletic person. So I've played sports since I was like three years old. Um, golf and soccer were kind of my two big sports. And my entire life kind of growing up, I wouldn't say I was fat, but I was definitely in out of the group of my friends, I could always recognize that I kind of felt like the chubby kid in the group. Um, so I always kind of grew up with that insecurity. And, you know, I had an older brother and my older brother, he's actually shorter than me now. I think he's probably like five, eight, five, nine. And there was a point in our you know, us growing up where I started to get bigger than him and like, he could no longer bully me physically. So he figured out how to kind of bully me mentally. Um, it wasn't anything, you know, it was brotherly love. It's kind of jabs here and there, but it was something that always kind of stuck with me because I even have, you can't see now I'm wearing pants, but when I bend my knee, there's like a small crease, like on my lower thigh and when I was a kid, my brother would always point it out when I was sitting on the couch, he'd be like, you see that? That's like a little pocket of fat you got right there, Chris. Um, and just little comments like that, even to this day, like they still stuck with me, you know, pretty significantly. Um, growing up when we played sports, we'd go to soccer tournaments after a game, you've got another game in maybe an hour. All the kids would be taking off their shirts, trying to cool down in the tent. My mom would come over and she'd try to take my shirt off, be like, mom, stop, don't like, don't take my shirt off. I don't want the kids to see, you know, my stomach. I don't want them to see my rolls or whatever it is. And I was always incredibly insecure about my physical shape. So growing up, it was always something that I thought about. Um, and then as I got older, you know, went to college, was able to play soccer. Even when we were at FIT, there was a guy on our team. His name's Forrest. Just love the guy. Got nothing against him. But my freshman year, we were in the locker room. I got out of the shower, was walking to my locker and he comes up, he pinches, you know, like my lower stomach and he like jiggles my stomach and he goes, Chris, like, what's this right here, bro? And I really like smack his hand and be like, don't fucking touch my stomach, you dick. Like it, you know, like it affected me because even then my freshman year, I was red shirting. I wasn't the starting goalie. So there was already some insecurities about, am I good enough? And now somebody's pointing out another aspect that is proving a point as to me not being good enough because you know, I've got a stomach and the first string goalkeeper, he doesn't. So now it makes me feel even more insecure about who I am and what I can bring to the table. So my freshman year of college, I went on bodybuilding.com, probably like most male guys do at around 18 years old and trying to figure out like how to 
lose body fat and how to get shredded and how to get jacked. And like, that was the most important thing for me when I was in college. And, you know, it says eat chicken, you know, eat salads, don't ever eat carbs. And I kind of did kind of most of the typical gym bro things you could do. I lost some weight. I wouldn't say I was, I wasn't shredded or anything like that. I've gotten way more shredded now in the future, but at the time it made me feel a lot better about myself because I was taking control of something that I could control. And I even got to the point where some guys on the team, I'd go into the cafeteria, they're like, Chris, what should I eat? And I would tell them what they should eat. But in the back of my mind, I was like, that's fucking right. Like, you remember my freshman year when you guys were giving me shit. Now you're asking me what you should eat in the cafeteria. Like I fucking told you I would do this. Um, so there had always been like a, a chip on my shoulder to prove these guys wrong or even my own self-talk and progressed throughout college, started CrossFit to get better in better shape, to get stronger, to get faster for soccer. And once I started going to the gym, I got really strong. That also helped my confidence. But I got to a point where I realized, you know, I could go to soccer practice in the morning and I could train two times a day in the CrossFit gym. And yet I still wasn't shredded like I wanted to be. So as much as I love training, I realized if you can't out train a bad diet, like no matter how hard you try, if you eat shitty, if you can't, you know, figure out your nutrition, it doesn't matter how much you work out. So I hired my first coach. Her name's Chastity Snowden. She was a former CrossFit Games athlete, randomly kind of stumbled onto her on Instagram, and she became my first nutrition coach. And working with her, she was kind of the first person that really showed me the the psychology aspect of the nutrition, because when we would have check-ins, when I first started, I was an awful client. We would have check-ins and I'd be paying this lady, I don't know, maybe 150 to 200 bucks a month at the time. For me, when I was in college, that was a lot of money. My parents were basically paying for it. And I felt bad wasting my parents' money because we'd have check-ins week after week. She'd be like, did you track your food? And I'd be like, no, I kind of forgot and blah, blah, blah. And I had excuse after excuse. And she would ask me, you know, like, why, why'd you forget? What was the reason? And most of the time it had to do with a girl. It had to do with some sort of relationship that I was either attempting to get in or a relationship that I had just gotten out of. And whenever a relationship didn't go the way I wanted it to, the best way I would cope with those feelings was I would go out. I would try to drink the feelings away and it would typically work, you know, for those four hours that I was drinking. And that night would typically end with me going to grab some pizza right next to the bar, going home, waking up the next day, feeling like shit, hungover, not doing anything on Sunday, waking up on Monday, still kind of dragging. And that one day turned into four. And those four days became four wasted days of my week. And then if I didn't do anything for those four days, I feel ashamed. So I wouldn't fill out the rest of my check-in forms or I wouldn't fill in the numbers. So I wouldn't want to put, you know, you were supposed to eat 180 grams of protein to, I'm just making up random numbers, 250 grams of carbs, 70 grams of fat. And the reality was I was probably eating like 350 grams of carbs, hundred grams of fat and like not enough protein. And I didn't want to put that on the sheet because I'd feel embarrassed. So I would skip it. And she was smart enough and a good enough coach to realize like, okay, like this kid, you know, he's a collegiate, he's a collegiate athlete. He knows how to train. He knows how to work hard. It isn't a, it isn't a knowledge thing. There's something going on with his relationships. There's something going on with his psychology. And she was the first one that kind of introduced me like, all right, let's start small. Can you hit just your protein? What do we need to do to do that? Can you do that? Yes or no. And it was like, no, at first I couldn't even do that. And she's like, all right, 
can you make your bed in the morning? And I was like, sure. Why the fuck am I doing that? She's like, I just need you to start keeping the promises with yourself that you say you're going to do. So we're going to start really fucking small. If you can make your bed, that's the win. That's good enough for me. And I was like, okay. So I'd make my bed. I feel accomplished. I feel, you know, better about myself. We do the check-in. She's like, did you make your bed all week? I'm like, yeah. She's like, all right, cool. Like anything else? She's like, no, just stick with that. And I was like, all right, but like, I want more now. And now that she knew I wanted more, she's like, all right, can you drink a gallon of water a day? And I was like, for sure. I can totally do that. Cause I was hungry at that point. Make my bed, drink a gallon of water. She's like, did you do it? I'm like, yeah. She's like, all right, this is great. Good job. Do it again next week. I'm like, I want more. It's like, all right, well, can you track your protein now? She's like, I'm like, yeah, I could totally do it now. And then we slowly progressed to me tracking my protein, tracking my carbs, tracking my fats. And she was the first person that really showed me a lot of nutrition is psychology. A lot of it is there's something going on in your relationships. There's something going on in your life. And because it's not working out, because you have shame, you have grief, whatever it is, you use food and alcohol and drugs as coping mechanisms. And as we finally progressed, I was able to start hitting my numbers. It made me perform better in the gym. It made me perform better in my life because now lifestyle habits, I'm making my bed every day. I'm waking up, taking a cold shower. I'm drinking a gallon of water. I'm getting my steps in. And through that, just like you said in the beginning of the podcast, once you start doing one of these things and you start feeling better about yourself, it made me want to do it in other areas of my life. And once I slowly, continually did that, I worked with her for probably one to two years, started really diving into the psychology of things. She would recommend books for me to read. I would learn more and more about the reasons why I was doing them. Um, she's like, you know, you should be a coach at this. You would be great. And I was like, nah, no, 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 I can't do that. She's like, no, Chris, like you're, you've now become obsessed with this. And I was like, I got super obsessed with the psychology of it. It's when I started really diving into a lot of podcasts, books, learning about how, you know, alcohol addiction starts, learning how people who have eating disorders start. Um, so that's kind of the beginning of what really got me into the psychology and habit lifestyle, because I realized I was already an athlete. I knew how to train, but training wasn't going to solve my nutrition problems and training definitely wasn't going to solve my psychological problems. It could help. You know, I loved going to the gym when I was fucking angry. It was great, but it didn't solve the problem. It just solved it for an hour and a half while I got all my feelings out at the bar. It's a slightly better way to deal with stuff than at the bar. Correct. That, that's really interesting, dude. Um, one, I didn't know that about the, like the, how you got into all the nutrition stuff. Um, but it's cool that a, you instantly go back to like, you can already can connect this with a lot of stuff that came for your past. Like I, sure that story uh kind of coming from there is a lot of something that a lot of people can connect to but maybe not something that people can instantly be like that caused this kind of thing like a lot of people probably resonate like oh yeah that's like i had a lot of very similar things but can't necessarily see how it's led to different habits whatever like where they're at in their life right now so that's kind of very um interesting and awesome to be able to connect with that straight away but then also that's a, you having all that interest in the psychology stuff that your first nutrition coach is half of what you guys are doing is more of the, like the psychology thing and how that can be the more of just the mental side of things, just where your head state, your head is at can be more useful, more relevant, more important than like the actual science of 
like how many calories you're eating and what you're eating and things like that, like that entire conversation that almost really didn't come up at all. Um, and then your transition from that into being what you want to do now and helping other people do the same. So what does that process look like of for you kind of knowing that's maybe a lot of where some of people's nutritional issues are going to come from actually stems from other areas of their life? Like what is that conversation or that process look like when somebody's coming to you and they're like, Hey, I want to lose weight. Can you help me with my diet? And you're like, yeah, sure. But like, what's your relationship with your mom? You know what I mean? Something like that. Like they're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. I thought we were just here to kind of just talk about calories and stuff like that. Like how does some of that go down? Uh, for me, one of the, one of the biggest helps that I didn't tell that first story in kind of recognizing a lot of these triggers for people was I eventually got to the point where I went to therapy. Um, you actually lived with me when I was probably going through some of the, the darkest stages of my life when I was dating a girl who went to the CrossFit gym with me. We broke up. She was still going to the CrossFit gym. I had to see her every single day. She started talking to somebody else at the gym. And me as the coach, my job is to stand in front of everybody with a smile on my face, to give energy, to entertain, to educate, even though on the inside, I was dying. You know, my, my heart was broken. I didn't want to see her. I definitely didn't want to see her with another guy, especially a guy who, you know, in my gym, he was good at CrossFit as well. So now I'm comparing myself physically to him. I'm saying, you know, she likes him better than me because he's better at CrossFit. He's stronger than me. This goes way back into like my childhood fears and worries about me being fat. I'm like, he's stronger. He's got bigger muscles. I'm small. I'm weak. I'm fat, whatever it might be. All of those kind of came up and I, I didn't know how to handle all those emotions, how to process any of them. So even though I'd been working with a nutrition coach and I kind of had a grasp of those things, this thing happened and I went right back to what I previously did. I would go out, I would drink, I would come home, I would be angry. I wouldn't know how to deal with these emotions. I think you might've even seen me like break shit at the house at one point. There was a time I went out to the backyard and found some fucking wood. And I just beat the shit out of the wood and was sitting in the front porch and I was trying to smoke weed and calm down, but I was like, I was red hot. Um, and I had no idea how to process those emotions. I almost lost my job because I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. At this point, you know, I'd been working with the coach. We had built all these habits. I knew everything I needed to do physically and mentally. I could not get myself to do that. I would wake up. I wouldn't get, want to get out of bed. I would wake up, I would, I could not get myself to go for a walk in the morning, no matter how bad I wanted to do it. All I knew was that I had to coach 5.30, 30. She was going to be there. He was going to be there. And I had to pretend like nothing was wrong and it was killing me inside. Um, so I went to my boss and I told him, I was like, listen, I, I think I've got to quit. I don't, I don't think I can do this. I'm clearly not strong enough to do this. And that also mentally fucked with me because as a guy, you know, you want to think that you're strong enough to handle any of these situations. And what I used to tell myself was like, if you can't figure out your own brain, like who the fuck can you help? If you can't even help yourself, um, which is a really negative outlook to have. And my boss, he was a, he was a Marine. He was a, he was what I would consider a quote unquote tough guy. And he told me at the time, he goes, have you ever considered therapy? 
And I said, no, therapy is for fucking pussies. They're like, I don't go to therapy. And he goes, well, that's interesting, man. Cause like I've gone to therapy. It helped me a lot. And I was like, fuck, okay. If my, if my boss who at the time was kind of like my big brother, who I thought was a tough dude, if he can go to therapy, then maybe I can too. Um, I was still in college, so I could go to therapy for free at the school. Went to therapy for probably like, you know, last three months that I graduated and I had to find somebody else. But those first couple of times I went, you know, I just sat there and she's like, why are you here? And I was like, I don't fucking know. I'm angry. I don't know how to stop being angry. I'm fuck, I fucking hate my girlfriend or my ex-girlfriend. I, I think I'm going to quit my job. She's like, well, why are you feeling like that? And I was like, I don't fucking know, lady. What do you want from me? She's like, tell me how you feel. And like the first two sessions, like she didn't really get a whole lot out of me because I was just resisting. I didn't know how to, how to share. I didn't know how to be vulnerable because I thought it would make me weak. And probably by the third session, I was like, I walked in, I was angry still. And I was like, all right, lady, you want to hear it? You really do? Fine. Here it is. And I just like let it all out as much as I possibly could in that hour. And it was, it was like one of the best things ever. Um, I'd never had a person, a situation where I could just tell them how I was feeling, you know, naked, like full vulnerability. And they wouldn't judge you. They were just there to listen to it. They weren't going to tell you like, you shouldn't feel like that, whatever. They would just be there to listen. And therapy legitimately kind of saved my life because um, it helped me kind of get out of that depression and it helped me get to the point where I got past the anger. And then once I got past the anger, I was able to start questioning like, okay, why does breaking up with this girl, like, why does it affect you this much? Why is it causing this much hurt? People break up all the time. So why does it hurt you this much? And then that dives into, you know, my, my parents and my family and the love I felt like I didn't get as a child. So for me, when I had a girlfriend, that girlfriend was my everything because it was the only source of that, what I would consider like unconditional love that I never felt like I truly got as a kid. And because of that, I would hold on to it so fucking tight that it would make the girl want to leave. And then once the girl left, I would go from, you know, my whole world crumbled. I had absolutely nothing. And therapy allowed me to really dive into intimate relationships myself, my family's relationships, relationships with coaches, relationships with friends, times when I felt anxious, times when I felt sad, angry. And it was the first time I ever learned how to process emotions because I would, I'd just never known. Nobody ever taught me and nobody actually teaches most of us how to do this. Um, because of that, as I was going through therapy, as I was working with my nutrition coach, and then once I became a coach, when I would hear people tell me their stories about why they wanted to lose the weight and what was going on and how they were feeling, the stories that they would tell me were the same stories that I would tell my therapist. It was the surface level story. Like, yeah, I'm really upset. I'm like 20 pounds overweight. It makes me feel kind of uncomfortable. I don't like it. I want to get shredded. And I'm like, okay, why? Well, cause like, you know, some of my friends they're in shape and I'm not really in shape. And like, sometimes it makes me feel kind of like not as good as them. And I'm like, okay, like, why do you not feel as good as them? And I would be able to basically do what my therapist did for me, for my clients. And I realized that a lot of people 
there's a, there's a massive stigma around going to therapy. There's a massive stigma around, you know, mental health, much like how I felt, you know, you're a pussy if you have to go to therapy. So because I know a lot of people aren't willing to go to therapy, me being a nutrition coach, being able to use nutrition as my foot in the door to somebody's mind, I, I'm not going to be anybody's therapist. If somebody has some serious problems, they legitimately need to go to a therapist and get some help. But if somebody has, you know, a lesser issue or they've never heard, you know, what a trigger is, or they've never understood the connection between why they drink or eat as a way to numb the feeling of inadequacy, I was able to bridge that gap because they were never going to go to a therapist. And being able to be that person, it's, it's why I love what I do. It's, it's why I do what I do, because therapy was the biggest thing for me ever. And if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be who I am now. I would still be that angry 20 year old kid who would get drunk, who would smoke weed, who would want to just hook up with a girl to try and fill this void in my chest that she could never fill. Um, so that's a long winded answer, but that's no, why the that's, psychology is so important for me. Yeah. That's amazing. And to, for what you're talking about, like your role now, like obviously you're not trying to take the role of a therapist, but to just even give somebody kind of what you had in that therapy of like that, that safe space for lack of a better term, just like that outlet, essentially, like you coming in on day three and just being like, all right, fuck it. If you want it, like, here's everything kind of thing. Um, most people never have that moment. Um, and so I think a lot of that stuff's very, very powerful in the sense of having a, like the role model, um, in your boss and stuff like that, like, helping you get over like that stigma in your head just because without that like it's probably something that you never do but like oh shit this like marine can go and like say with a straight face and that sort of thing I think that's massive um and then also the environment obviously of therapy itself and being able to go actually get through all of that stuff because obviously I mean you and I were roommates and stuff like that but for whatever reason didn't feel like we're we're also peers and that sort of thing so it can be a lot harder to talk to people about something like that like we always like we talked about stuff but like you're talking about with these clients like it was much more on a superficial level than something like that and I mean that's something that I can relate to a couple of years earlier when I was in Florida Tech went through a lot of like very similar stuff like really kind of dark places like hard times and stuff like that and it's very easy to just shut everything out rather than kind of just open up and let everything in and you tend to feel very isolated and very alone um and especially for men guys these days like younger guys and kind of like our society like there's plenty of that stigma around just being a tough guy just not showing emotions like all these different things like that um and you've painted a pretty good picture of like the effect that that has on you and like kind of where that takes you um, and where things kind of could have gone if you hadn't gotten to a kind of resource or something like that um, and how that's kind of affected you now. So A, I know you've talked about the story and stuff like that in the past, like on your own podcast and in plenty of detail and things like that, but do you just always kind of want to take the time to kind of just like commend and say thank you for sharing something like that um a just because it's not easy to do i know once you do it the more you often you do it the easier it becomes but then also that i'm sure there's plenty of people that even more so than the kind of story you're talking about is being a younger kid and coming up and getting teased and stuff like that i'm sure there's plenty of people that can relate to that too and so i think something like 
finding that person, that role model, that environment, whether it's therapy, whether it's a friend, whether it's a mentor or something like that, like to actually just go through a lot, like be able to talk about, go through a lot of those emotions. Like for you, it's interesting that when you go to therapy and stuff like that, and you have that one moment of just kind of a, just like that fuck it moment of just like laying everything out and you're able to get through all of the emotional piece. And then you can actually think about stuff on the other side and you can start to ask some of those questions and like, and be a little bit more thoughtful about like, okay, why do I feel like this? And do a little bit more of that digging, a little bit more of that introspection and stuff like that. And that's not necessarily something that you can do until you get through at least that emotional piece. And so you kind of process and stuff like that. And it tends to be in that, especially for guys, we're very big on just not showing motion or anything like that. So it makes it, it makes it very, very hard. Um, so kind of want to kind of commend you for that a little bit. Um, yeah, man. And one more thing I just wanted to say with that, um, you know, even for, for most guys, I even had on my wall at one point, I wrote a quote from a fucking show and it said, if, if you show emotions, people will walk all over you because they'll think you're weak. And that used to be like a big ass thing on my wall. And it was like, it was the worst thing that I could have ever had on my wall. Um, and the greatest thing about, you know, therapy or even working with a coach and why I love doing what I do is because once you can get to the point of releasing those things, all of those things that you're holding on to is preventing you from actually taking action the all of those things they carry such a weight on you that it's much like you said you go very inward you don't want to talk to anybody you don't want to share these things and it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier to the point where you feel you know helpless and once you can talk to somebody once you can work through those problems you can then get to the point where you go okay i'm in this hole how do i get out and it starts with one step and it starts with the smallest thing that you can possibly think of that will get you to start taking action and building momentum. And the reason I love nutrition is because if I can help somebody change their physical body, it's one of the easiest things for them to see in the mirror of making actual change and making actual progress. Psychology and the mental side, you can't see it. It's in your head, but your body if I can help you lose 20 pounds and I can help you get to the point where you feel strong in your body, that strength in your physical body is going to help you have the strength to confront the demons in your head because you've proven to yourself and you can see it in the mirror that I can create change. I can make myself stronger. And if I can make myself stronger physically, what can I do with those principles to make myself stronger mentally? A lot of the things that I do now is me trying to help that five-year-old Chris feel a lot more confident in handling the world. Because when I was younger and when I was teased and when I felt fat, I felt like I couldn't fight. I felt like I couldn't handle anybody coming at me and I would cower and I would be afraid. And throughout my life, I've gotten stronger physically and then I've gotten stronger mentally to where now if somebody tries to come at me, either two ways. You try and come at me physically, I can hold my own. You try and come at me mentally, I bet you I can find some shit in your head that you're not willing to share with anybody. And I've shared everything. So you've got nothing on me mentally. And if you've got nothing on me mentally, I got an edge on you. 
because most people, they hide that shit. And if you want to come after me, you better hope that you've said everything. Because if I find it, now you're going to feel small. I can find that five-year-old kid in you. And that might sound dark and that might sound mean, but you need to be prepared for those things in this world if you want to try to be successful, if you want to try to go after your dreams because people are going to try and drag you down. And if you're not able to look at all of those things inside of you that somebody might be able to pull out, it's like the Eminem scene. The fact that Eminem rapped about everything in his life when the other guy tried to come at him, he said, try, come at me now. I just told everybody everything. I told everybody that I'm a fucking trailer trash, that you hooked up with my girlfriend, that my mom's a drug addict. You got nothing on me. And when, when nobody has anything on you, you feel free. You feel strong. You feel confident. And that was the thing that I was trying to get to the point of because my entire life growing up, I never felt like those things. So, yeah, man, like you said, that's like the, the confidence that comes from owning and accepting all of those pieces of your past and stuff like that, too. And like you said, when you don't have anything to hide, then it's you're a lot less scared of being found out because they're nothing, you know what I mean? There's there's nothing to be found out. And like you're talking about that one, um, that one step at a time thing, it's like how your nutritionist started with you. Like, can you track your macros? No, but can you make your bed? Sure. And then all of a sudden that leads you to where you are today. And a lot of times, I mean, that's one of the things that I love about um, Jordan Peterson, like the clean your room thing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, I think too, where for me, I mean, it's similar with us, but for me, it's the, it's the gym stuff. That's such a fantastic foundation of, again, the discipline, but then also like you're talking about of something that's physical to push against and to struggle against. I think the gym's even better for that just for when you're going through hard times and stuff like that to have something to physically push against like literally like the, an iron bar and stuff like that. Like it's very, gives you a very solid outlet. And then all of the kind of benefits that you're talking about of like building the confidence and the discipline and kind of everything that goes along with that. Um, mm -hmm. I think, I think a lot of that's, a lot of that's very true. And a lot of that's something that hopefully people can kind of use from and take from i'm sure we all have at kind of different points in our life and in different ways um so then from there with all of the nutrition and kind of lifestyle and stuff that you've been getting into now a lot of the psychology and things like that um what is that kind of evolved into now with your kind of training business like what are you doing with your people and then how has that kind of changed and adapted for you now so you've gone through some of that kind of darker pieces and now are more of on that upward trend and just trying to improve and add all these things into your life. And I know you've got tons of stuff with journaling and meditation and breath work and red light therapy and all of these things that you've got kind of going on. So maybe what are some of the, either if you want to go with your clients, like some of the places you have to try and get them to start, if it's as simple as what your nutritionist was doing with you, or then some of the big rocks that you kind of now have in your own life that you think have been kind of very helpful for you, aside from obviously all the kind of work with the therapists and stuff like that that you talked about. Yeah, um, for for my clients, you know, it's it's very person to person dependent, trying to figure out where where they're at and kind of what they can handle. Much like my my coach tried to work with me, you know, I could have a client where I'm like, hey, can you track your food? And they're like, sure, I can. And then we find out in the first three weeks, no, they can't. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what can you handle that's just outside of your comfort zone? If that's making your bed, perfect. If it's taking a cold shower, 
Perfect. That's incredibly uncomfortable. Can you sit in there for two minutes? Um, my morning ritual is the very first thing I do every day. It still sucks. Yeah. Um, I just made a post about taking ice baths yesterday. And the, the big thing that I posted about it is doing something that's uncomfortable, but doing it like you love it. And an ice bath sucks for the first two minutes. After the first two minutes, you kind of go numb. Your body actually starts to get warm. So the question is, can you handle two minutes of discomfort? If you can't, there's a gap. There's an area that you can improve on. Um, and you could, you could relay that to, to meditation as well. Meditation is another one that I work with clients and trying to figure out it's the same thing. Um, I tell people, you know, if you have a dog and you can tell a dog to sit and stay and it sits and stays, but you tell yourself to sit and stay and you can't sit and stay, it's pro that's a problem. You know, the dog's got more discipline than you do, but that dog was also trained to do that. It took time. You told it to sit down. It wouldn't listen. You told it to sit down. It wouldn't listen. You told it to sit down. You gave it a treat. It kind of listened a little bit more. And over time, you, you know, you gave it uh, a command. You know, you put your hand up. The dog sees the command. It recognizes I'm supposed to sit. And with meditation, it's very similar. You know, you're going to sit there for the first time. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to set a timer. And you're going to see how long you can sit there before you feel like you have to move. And then you're going to open your eyes. You're going to look at the time. You're going to think it's 10 minutes. You're going to realize it's 25 seconds. And you're going to go, oh my God, I can only sit for 25 seconds. Like that's probably not the greatest thing. You know, the majority of us have a really hard time focusing in this day and age because there's so much technology. There's so much social media. There's so many ways that we can get distracted. And if you want to be successful in your life, you have to be able to train yourself to focus and to sit and focus on one specific thing. So meditation, meditation has a lot of different aspects to it, but one of them is, is being able to train yourself to sit and stay and focus, whether that's on your breath, whether that's on, you know, you, you know, moving your hands back and forth, whether it's doing a, a vocal thing where you go home and listening to the home as you try to meditate, there's a ton of different ways to do it, but you're trying to train yourself to be able to focus for an extended period of time. When I first started, I think it, I probably, it was pretty sure it was a minute. I was like, could I sit for a minute? And that was tough. And then a minute turned into two and then two turned into five. And now I can sit and meditate for 20 minutes relatively comfortably without much issues. Um, but because I can do that, it's helped me be able to focus with my work. The other thing it's helped me to do is to train my nervous system to calm down. So part of the reason I teach people why they should meditate is because, you know, this kind of goes back to therapy. When I would get anxiety, when I would get stressed, our bodies, they go into our fight or flight. Um, they go into fight or flight. Our heart rate starts to get really high. Our palms start to sweat. We start to get worried. We want to either like run or freeze. And through meditation, you can train your body to go from your sympathetic nervous system into your parasympathetic nervous system. If you can take six deep breaths, I'm pretty sure there's a study, you can physically change and switch over into your parasympathetic nervous system. So another reason why I did meditation was because I wanted to have a tool to be able to tamper down my anxiety and my stress whenever I was in a certain situation, because before I didn't, I didn't have a way to do it. So what did I do? I either ran away from it or I 
try to fight or I tried to you know, drink or smoke because those things helped me calm down in the moment. And I'd recognize that, you know, you can't drink at three o'clock in the afternoon when you're freaking stressed if you have work to do at five. So what, what's a positive tool that I can use to help me tamper down that anxiety and go from sympathetic to parasympathetic? So meditation, you know, it's, it's twofold. It can be threefold. It can help you understand and recognize what's the background chatter going on in your head every single day. Most people don't recognize, but there are, I don't even remember this one, but there's thousands of thoughts going on in your head every single day. And we pretty much recognize, I think maybe 10% of them. And the majority of our thoughts are reoccurring thoughts. I think 80% of our thoughts are reoccurring thoughts. And if those thoughts are negative, it's probably not going to be good for you. It's probably going to lead you subconsciously to things you don't want in your life. So if you can sit, quiet everything else, close your eyes, stop your thinking, and then just focus on those reoccurring thoughts in your brain, you can then first figure out what they are. Then you can question why you have those thoughts. And then you can work to remove those negative thoughts and to introduce positive thoughts that are going to help move you forward in your life. Um, so meditation is one that I thought I would have never done in my life, but it's got a ton of benefits physically, mentally, and spiritually to be able to help you just have a tool in your tool bag that can help you in so many different areas. Um, and then meditation also goes in line with journaling. If you have a hard time remembering what those thoughts are, you can meditate and immediately write down what, what came up when I was meditating for 10 minutes. Was it good stuff? Was it bad stuff? Was it angry? Was it sad? Then you can look at whatever those things are on that piece of paper, and then you can start to dissect, question, analyze them, as well as just get them out of your head. Um, I'm a, I think constantly. I've got massive ADHD. My brain like never shuts off. And journaling is really great for me and for clients who kind of have this same struggle. They feel like they always have their minds going at 100 miles an hour. I tell them, I just go write everything in your head down on a piece of paper. If you can write it all down, you'll find that a lot of those thoughts go away because they're trying to come out of you. There's something in there that either you're avoiding, that you haven't said, that you haven't looked at. And if you can get it on a piece of paper and then you can review it, you might find that there's some things that, fuck, there, I didn't even remember I was talking about that or thinking about that. You can have that conversation with somebody or you can go to a therapist or go to a coach or whatever it might be. Um, I just had a client yesterday. <clears throat> we were talking about, he's reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. He's in, he's in the uh, trucking industry. It's predominantly male-based. He said one of the things he loves to do is laugh. And he has a hard time right now because when he goes home, he gets really high so he can watch a cartoon so he can laugh because he feels like when he's in his job in this male industry, trucking tough guys no laughter no emotion there are situations in his day when he might want to laugh but he's afraid that if he laughs everyone's going to give him shit for laughing so because he's not doing what he wants to do he's holding it in he's acting in a way that doesn't align with what he loves doing and he feels like he can't get it out 
he feels shitty about that. He feels like he's not enjoying his day. So when he goes home, he uses smoking weed as his you know, reason for saying like, this is why I'm laughing, you know, it's because I'm high and I'm watching some cartoons. Like no one's going to judge me for doing that. And I told him, I challenged him. I go, listen, what if you laughed in the office and people still gave you shit? You just didn't care what they thought. He goes, oh man, I could never do that. I go, all right, maybe not right now, but what's like one small thing you could do? What's one thing you could do to where you're choosing what you want to do versus what these other guys want to do? Because right now you're allowing their desires and what they want to do to dictate your day. And because you're allowing them to dictate your day, you don't feel aligned with who you want to be. Because you don't feel aligned with who you want to be, there's something out of whack. Because there's something out of whack, you're trying to find a coping mechanism to allow you to get back to who you want to be. So now you think if I smoke weed, it's okay to laugh because people that get high, they laugh all the time. No one's going to judge me. But if you can get to the point where you can laugh in the office and not care if the guys give you shit for it because they're having a shitty day and they feel like, why are you laughing when I'm having a shitty day? You shouldn't be laughing. Like, fuck those guys. If you can get to the point where you're like that, when you go home, you won't want to smoke as much because there won't be a disconnect. You won't be misaligned. And his biggest thing is right now, he's feeling like he's smoking too much. And if he's smoking too much, he eats bad food. If he eats bad food and he smokes too much, he goes to bed late. When he goes to bed late, he wakes up the next day, he's tired, he's groggy, he doesn't do what he needs to be doing. So this one change in being able to recognize where am I misaligned? What am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? How can I start to get to the point where I'm living my life the way I want to live and not caring what these other people think? will get rid of all of these other problems that are not helping him with his nutrition and fitness. And him being able to kind of meditate on these things, journal what these feelings are. Cause I told him, I go, listen, I want you to journal the next time you feel stressed in the office. The next time you feel like you want to laugh, the next time you feel uncomfortable in a situation where you're not doing what you want to do, write it down. Cause we need to figure out when those situations arise. Once we can figure out when those situations arise, we're going to pick one of them. The, the least hard situation, we're going to start there. If we can get you to do the thing in that situation that you want to do, you know, somebody fucking farts and you want to giggle, just giggle. If you can do that and you can realize that on the other side of that, like you're not going to die. The other guy's not going to fight you. Nothing bad is actually going to happen. You're going to realize, okay, I can laugh in that situation. And then what's the next one? And then what's the next one? And then if you can get to the point where you're living your life the way you want to in your job, when you go home, all the problems go away. So those are a couple, you know, meditation, journaling. I love cold therapy. I know you love cold therapy as well for the discipline aspect of it. It helps a ton with reducing inflammation. It helps a ton with you focusing um, because when you get really cold, and it's like, it feels like life or death. You're not thinking about the trivial things in your day anymore. Very sad. You're, sure. Yeah. You're immediately on fuck. This is cold. Oh my God. Oh my God. And now the other aspect is, can you train yourself to calm down in that extremely stressful situation? We're basically creating a controlled, stressful environment. And if we can create a controlled, stressful environment, and you can teach yourself to calm down in that controlled, stressful environment, it's going to better prepare you for the stressful environments that you can't control because you know what to do. When you take an ice bath, what do you do? Focus on your breath. 
slow it down, relax. If you're in a stressful environment in your work with your relationships, those same feelings come up, what do you do? Focus on your breath, slow it down, relax. If you can do that, you can think coherently. And once you start being able to think coherently, you can make a better decision versus before when you're in that sympathetic nervous system, you're doing whatever you can do to make the feeling go away. And sometimes it's not the best decision. It's interesting how much of this, like how much of everything just comes back to self-awareness and just kind of connecting with your physiology and different things like that. Just being able to honestly, like so many things come down to just being able to notice when something's going on, like just the act of noticing, Hey, how I'm reacting to this. So my breath is changing, like just so many, so many different situations. If you're starting to get flustered, if you're having different thoughts, like anything that's going on, just kind of lifestyle or habit wise, like just that act of just kind of paying attention and noticing that in the first place is can't like talk enough about how effective that is and just starting to get you to kind of change things, whatever that is. Um, the meditation one is definitely one that I've been getting into more recently. Haven't used it as much. Um, honestly, it's always one that you're like, I don't have time. It's stupid, all this and that. And that's probably started to realize that that's a sign that I needed. I needed it more because of that. Um, mm -hmm. and that's definitely one of the hardest things to do. So if it just sits still, try and empty your mind. It's a very good way to realize and just notice how much that monkey brain is running all the time. Like you're, you have uh, like, you're talking about playing with the fingers, doing the ohm. maybe you have a mantra, something that you're thinking about and you're just trying to empty the mind. And then all of a sudden there's something comes in. It's like, Oh shit. Now I gotta go back to whatever my mantra is like all of that mm -hmm. stuff. Very, very effective. Um, and especially for like, you're talking about how much we're all like revved up today and stuff like that. Just even the fact of having the cell phone, all the dopamine hits, just everything in our life is designed to kind of amp things up, like turn that frequency up. And so it can be super, super effective for helping calm your mind, helping you sleep better, helping you just not be so stressed, just being able to take five minutes once or twice a day and just kind of sit and breathe and chill. You don't have to do anything that extravagant. Like you can literally just breathe. You can just sit with your eyes closed. Like there aren't a lot of times I've heard people say that I don't know how to meditate or anything like that. Um, I still don't either. I'm still trying to figure it out, but like just the act of spending five minutes a day outside, if you can, just like sitting and breathing is massive. Um, journaling is one that I've been using for a while. I love that one just because it's, it's so effective for organizing your thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. It can be very hard to, if you're thinking stuff in your head, Hey, you've usually got competing voices and stuff like that. You've got four different things going on at a time. It can be very hard to organize things. If you're trying to say it out loud to somebody, sometimes it just never feels like it comes out like the way you, the way you want it to getting stuff down on paper. A, it makes it so much more concrete, but you get to actually kind of take your time and articulate things the way that you want to. It can be really, really massive for if you're trying to organize what you want to do, your goals, your motivations, stuff that you're struggling with, stuff that you're dealing with, like, there's, I couldn't agree more that one of the best things that you can do is just kind of just sit and write things down. Um, one thing that you said a minute ago that I wanted to just kind of come back to real quick, and I'll, I do want to be mindful of your time, so it won't take up too much longer. We're good. We're good. But doing uh, hard things with enthusiasm. I think that mm -hmm. one is, you kind of just flew by it, but that one I think is such a good um, just idea thing to have like the mentality with which you do hard things can be incredibly effective. Like, so for me, um, I'm pretty good about getting up relatively early. Um, I try and do it as consistently as I can. And 
even when you're consistent with it, even when it's something that you always do and it just becomes a habit, like there's always days where it's just like, fuck, I don't want to get up. You're like dragging and stuff like that. And just the simple act of moving a little bit quicker of like going to get my shirt, going to get water, just like literally just speeding up how I walk, like just having that little bit more energy into what I do all of a sudden, like I'm so much more alert and stuff like that. Like it's almost like surprised me a couple of times. It's like, Oh shit. Like, okay. Yeah. Like I'm actually like, I'm good to go now. And just that idea, like there's such, such a huge difference of fuck, I've got to go take this cold shower or all right, I've got to take this cold shower. Let's go. Like that's, it sounds corny. It sounds cliche, but just trying to just like attack hard things, like having that, like, even if you're not excited to go do something hard, but doing it with a little bit of like energy and stuff like that is enormous for changing how stuff feels. Like I've noticed this sometimes too, with um, fitness stuff, conditioning stuff, things like that. Like you've got a hard or a lot of them, we do a ton of sled work with all these guys. Like you've got a hard sled challenge coming up. It's like, fuck, you already like, you feel drained before you've even started versus like those first two or three steps. If you add, like you just add a little something and then all of a sudden, like you're in it, it changes things so much. It's super, super effective with all of that. Um, so I just thought that was a really, really good line. I think that's something that we can all definitely do more of. It's something I can definitely do more of myself, but I love that. I think that's something that kind of can't talk about enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's part of the reason why I call my company and my podcast and everything that I do. The reason I say it's all day is that mentality behind it is we all know the guy who he's working out and he's like super hyped and he like hits some weight or he's doing a workout and he like no matter what, like he's just got energy like nonstop, even if it's like the shittiest training session ever. And as soon as he gets done, he's like, yo, it's all day, baby. I could do this all day. It doesn't even hurt. This feels good. I love the pain. I love it. And like those guys, they bring you energy. I was they about to say, help. Around, that's always something. Yeah. You want like, it's always brings you up. Right? Yeah. And it was, I don't even remember how I had a guy at my gym. Actually, I remember this. The reason I called my coaching company, my podcast, everything. I had a guy at my gym. This guy worked at Publix. His name's Adam. <laughs> he came to my 6.30 class. It was the last class every single day. I would be tired. I would be like, all right, we got one more to go. We can do this. I'd see everybody else kind of coming in at 6.30. They're all kind of tired. They just got off work. And when you coach, I mean, you know this, you got a group of people. If you got eight people and all eight of them are tired and kind of in a shitty mood, you're like, fuck, I don't want to coach this session at all. Nobody's giving me anything here. I would have seven people and he would be the eighth dude that showed up and i i swear this guy was on like cocaine every single day he was every time he'd walk in he'd be like yo what's up man we ready to go and i'm like yeah let's fucking go adam he's like it's all day baby it's all day i could i'm like i'm like are you ready he's like, it's all day i got it all day and i i can't remember who it was but somebody was i told him that story like dude that should be your coaching company and i was like you were so right Cause that man always had energy and he was just a manager at Publix. I, that's what yeah. I love about that the most is yeah. Like it's not like he's he's a manager at Publix. And I yeah, was like, dude, I would cool. want to work for this man so bad because I knew every day he'd come in, he'd always have that energy. Um, and people that really struggle with that. One thing that really helps is if you decided to start journaling, one of the first things you can do is write down the first 
you know, five things that you're grateful for as soon as you wake up. Because I used to gratitude journal a lot when I first started, because when I was feeling down, when I was feeling low, I would never, ever, ever think about anything that I was grateful for. I would take everything for granted. You know, the fact that I was playing soccer in college, the fact that I had a job, whatever it was, it was just taken for granted. It was just the norm. And you just, you don't think about it. And most people don't. As you get into a routine, most things just become the norm. And you don't realize like, wow, you're fucking lucky to have that. The fact that I'm on this podcast with you, I'm incredibly grateful. The fact that I can share my story and the fact that I get to help other people. When I was in college, I used to dream of doing this. I used to dream of it. And now that I've been doing it, you know, for seven years, you stop realizing that you used to dream about doing this. And most people forget about the fact of like, dude, I used to, I used to dream about being able to have this car. I used to dream about being able to have my own place and doing whatever it was. And they stopped being grateful for it. So if you can start a morning journal and the first thing you do is write down, you know, the first five things that you're grateful for, it immediately switches your brain into looking for the things that are great in your life versus focusing on all the things that you wish you like weren't there. Cause if you look at your day, like you were talking about when you wake up, you're like, uh, I got to get up. I got to walk. I got to get some water. I got to put my clothes on. I got to yeah, get and the always the first thing your head goes, I got to do X, Y, Z. Like that's the mm-hmm. very first thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. And then I had one other thing that one of my coaches told me that if people start doing this, we'll help them a ton when it comes to this type of energy and this type of outlook is if you stop saying I have to, and you start saying I get to. I love that because one. nobody does this enough, including myself, is if you look at the things you get to do every single day, the fact that you say get immediately puts you in a state of gratitude versus you saying, I have to do this immediately puts you in a state of negativity. It feels like a chore. It feels like a task. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I've actually just been recently. That's definitely something I've wanted to do more, but I've just been recently using the, um, I think it came from Dean Graciosi, but yeah, it's like the first thing I do is I write one thing I'm grateful for and I try and make it small too. I like that even better than like, it's easy to say like my family, my kids, you know what I'm like, but try and make it small. Like you actually think of a little bit um, or just don't repeat it. And then eventually you run out of kids and you have to think of something small. Yeah. Um, so like something that I'm grateful for, just one thing, small as I can. One thing that I'm proud of that I did the day before, and then one thing that I have to get done that day. And that's like, it takes mm-hmm. five minutes and it's the very first thing I do. But yeah, I couldn't agree more that that's a, such a good way to shift that mindset thing. Cause I'm very, very guilty of like, I'm a huge checklist guy. And so it's just always, it's, it's never good enough. The checklist never ends. It's, yeah, I know. Like as soon as you do one thing, it's like, okay, on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. I'm taking like, taking that time to a reflect on the stuff that you've done in the past. Like for me, just looking back at where I've been business wise from the past year, like that's something that I need to do more of. Um, but yeah, just being grateful for what you've got in your life, things that are going, I couldn't agree more that that's, that's awesome. So last couple of things I'm going to ask you, um, what are the one or two best books you've read in the last two years? I got my, any, anything. I got my whole library right here. Um, let me see. One of the best. Okay. One I've read this one. Most people I don't think would have read this book. Most people haven't read most books, but 
this one. So if any of you listening resonated with anything that I was talking about with regards to therapy, regards to having issues as a child, being bullied, relationships, stuff with your parents, there's a book called Adult Children and Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, and Self-Involved Parents. This is a fantastic book. Um, This book really helped me realize and recognize you know, your parents, and it's not even their fault because the the biggest thing in this book and what I used to do once I started going to therapy is once I learned about some of the, the patterns that my family had kind of instilled into me, once I learned them and once I started breaking out of them, I wanted to go to my family and be like, hey, I found this out. We all got to change this. This isn't good for us. We shouldn't do this. And your parents, anybody listening, they've probably been following these patterns for 40, 50, 60 years. They're so ingrained into who they are. It's incredibly difficult for them to change them. And on top of that, the patterns, the habits, the things that they did to you, they learned from their parents. And then they learned those ones from their parents. And it's gone down generation to generation. And once I learned that and recognized it, it made me have less resentment towards my parents because I realized it wasn't their fault. And one of the biggest things I used to tell myself was it's their fault. I feel mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, the They did this to me and either they change or fuck them. And once I started reading this book, I realized it's not my parents' fault. They learned it from their parents and their parents were in the war. And my, you know, my grand, my whole dad's side, they were all in the Navy through the Vietnam War, through World War I, World War II. Back then, no guy ever knew what emotional intelligence was ever. You had to freaking kill or be killed. My mom came from South America to America at 18 years old, couldn't speak the language, had two children she had to take care of while my dad was away working, trying to put food on the table. There was no way she was going to be able to do everything that I possibly wanted her to do. It's a surprise that she did as much as she did. And it flipped my viewpoint on my parents and my perspective of me saying it's their fault. I feel like this to me being like, thanks for doing everything you did because the circumstances that you went through were probably 10 times harder than mine. Mm. Um, so that book was amazing for me. And then the second book that I would say, we'll go a little less heavy. Um, second book I would say, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I've heard good things. I haven't read that one yet. I've heard good this things. book, I tell, I buy this for every single one of my clients and I send it to them as soon as we start working. It's called Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results, an Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and to Break Bad Ones. Hmm. And he gives you a framework of simple things when it comes to creating a habit and getting rid of a habit. One of the best frameworks I've ever seen when it comes to making a habit is he's got four steps. The four steps, four laws, he says, is one, make it obvious, two, make it attractive, three, make it easy, and four, make it satisfying. So let's say you want to start making your bed in the morning every single day. How can you make that obvious? 
first thing I could think of is putting a sticky note on your door that you're going to see every single day before you walk out of your room that says, hey, make your bed. It's important. You told yourself yesterday you're going to do it. So now you have an immediate reminder. You're going to see it every single day. Either you're going to listen to your previous self, your higher self that's telling you this is important and doing it, or you're not. But the fact that it's obvious is a lot easier than you having no reminders and hoping that your willpower is going to be strong enough to create this new habit because most people eventually willpower runs out. Second one is to make it attractive. How can you make making your bed in the morning attractive? If you make your bed in the morning, I'm going to reward myself with X, whatever that might be. It's going to be different for everybody, but find a way to make your bed being attractive. Make it easy. If you've got two pillows, a comforter and a sheet, it's pretty easy. But if you're a girl and you've got 17 pillows on your bed, three sheets, four blankets, a teddy bear, and when you go to bed, they all end up all over the floor and now you've got to pick up 25 pieces to make your bed, that's not very easy. That's going to be incredibly difficult to do that every single morning. So how can you make it easy? And then last one, how can you make it satisfying? And if you've ever heard can't remember the Navy SEAL's name, but he gave a speech, commencement speech about talking about making your bed. If you've heard it, it's fantastic. If you haven't, look it up on YouTube. If you look up Navy SEAL commencement speech, make your bed every single day, he will tell you the story about how making your bed can change your life. And one of the most satisfying things that any of us can ever come back to, and Jordan Peterson also talks about this, is if you come back to a clean room at the end of a stressful day, it is going to be incredibly satisfying because you come back to a place of peace and order versus if you come back to a messy room, you are now coming back to a room of chaos and disorder. And if your day was also stressful, chaotic, and full of disorder, it just compounds things. So now coming home to a clean made bed is satisfying because now every day you get to come home to your little slice of heaven, your little bit of peace, and you can make your room as beautiful and satisfying as you want with aromatherapy, with red lights, with whatever you want to do, a galaxy thing. And now it becomes incredibly satisfying to come back to that made room versus a room with one ultra fluorescent white light with nothing on the walls. And like, that doesn't sound very satisfying or fun to me at all. But that book has been amazing when it comes to helping people understand how habits are created, how to create new ones, and then how to get rid of bad ones because those four laws, you just do the inverse of them. So if you want to do the inverse of them, if you want to get rid of a bad habit, instead of making it easy, make it hard. Instead of, instead of making it satisfying, make it unsatisfying. Mm -hmm. Instead of making it attractive, make it unattractive. And if you flip them, it can help remove bad habits much easier. You know, if you love drinking soda and you want to start drinking more water and you want to get rid of that habit, put the soda in the very back of the fridge and put the water bottles in the very front. So now you've got to go through a bunch of bottles to get the soda. That in and of itself is usually enough resistance for people to not go get the soda. So little small tweaks like that from that book can help you make a lot of habit changes. And those small ones make a big difference. That's awesome, dude. I love that. Okay, then what's the one thing you've learned in the last two years that's made the biggest impact in you can kind of life, training, business, kind of take your pick, but. The one thing that's made the biggest difference. Um, a thing that's made a big difference that it's not. Okay, know. okay. 
Um, I would say one of the things that's made the biggest difference in my life is most likely, I'd probably say like asking for help. Um, it's not something I like to do. I don't like to admit that I can't do something. I don't like to feel inadequate in a certain situation, but the reality is I don't know everything. And if I want to improve, there's people that know more than I do. And if I'm just willing to ask for help, most people will give it to me. And if I ask for help, I'll get to the solution I want much faster than if I'm too egotistically stubborn to not ask and try to figure it out myself because it'll take me weeks, months, years versus me going, hey, like I'm struggling. I don't know. I don't know what I'm, I mean. It goes back to therapy. You know, it's like, I don't know how to process emotions. I don't know why I'm angry. I need help. And because, and this really the overarching thing is just vulnerability. The, the biggest thing I've learned is that vulnerability is a strength because once I started being vulnerable, once I started being able to ask for help, my life got better. Um, I made better connections with people. I related with people a lot more because I wasn't trying to act perfect. Um, I learned a lot more. And one of the dumbest ones that pissed me off so much when I would go to my therapist is once I started learning how to be vulnerable, when I started talking to girls and we, I'd go on dates with girls and they'd be like, so like, who are you? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. We would get into a conversation of you know, something vulnerable in my life. And every girl would love it. Every girl would be like, oh my God, I've never met a guy who is so willing to show me his most vulnerable parts, to tell me things he's actually afraid of, to tell me things that he's going through. Because before I was the most, you know, stereotypical douchebag athlete pretending like I had no issues, like I was the macho man, had no problems. And that worked in high school. You know, that worked when people didn't really know a whole lot and people weren't willing to, to open up and be vulnerable. And once I started doing that, I went to my therapist and I told her, I was like, you are telling me that if I just would have told girls how I was actually feeling they would love it 10 times more than if I was trying to do all these stupid bullshit games. Like this is stupid. Like this is crazy how much more my life has progressed in relationships because I've been willing to be vulnerable. And that's, you know, intimate, professional friendships, all of them. I'm kind of that guy now in my, in my friendships. You know, I've got a lot of friends who will all hang out. Like I'll be like, Hey, how's it going? Like pretty good. I'm like, no, but like, really like, how's it going? Cause like, I'm, I mean, to be, to tell you the truth, man, I've been fucking struggling for the last two weeks. I've been doing this and this You're like, Oh, you know, honestly, like, man, like me too. And like, then I actually like create a lot better friendships with my friends and with my clients and with my relationships. So learning that vulnerability is a strength versus what I used to have written on my wall that said, if you show emotions, you're weak. That's probably been one of the biggest lessons I've learned. I love that. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, and then last thing, what's the one thing that you know or understand that you wish everyone else knew or understood? 
If you can change your body, you can change your life. A lot of people, like I've said earlier in this podcast, if they realized that if they can change their body physically, all of those habits, principles, disciplines can be used in every area of their life. The first thing I think a lot of people would start to do is work on changing their body. It's the easiest one to do. It's the one that you can see the most change in. And once you do that, you realize that you can change your life. That's beautiful. I love it, dude. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Everything you shared, it's been a lot of fun. Um, I know at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about or before we started recording that you and I talked about wanting this to not be a uh, typical fitness sets and reps podcast. And so this one's certainly been been anything but. But I think uh, getting into this stuff goes way beyond just the kind of exercises that you're doing in the gym. and can have a lot bigger kind of impact on people's lives. So appreciate the vulnerability, the honesty that you've kind of shared with me and with everybody here. Um, and it's been good to talk to you, dude. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be able to do this on both both sides, interviewer and interviewee. Absolutely, absolutely. Glad to flip the script on you. Like, all right. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man.